Hello and welcome to Platforms for Future. This podcast is about building and scaling B2B platform ventures to help you to accelerate and de-risk your journey with practical tips and insights. In our conversations, we talk to founders, executives, and experts, uncovering what they experienced and learned building their ventures. But we also cover new trends like ecosystem strategies, IoT and data platforms, Web3 and sustainability. This podcast is complementary to our Platform Innovation Kit toolset and the Platform Academy, where you can find more tools and learning opportunities for you and your team. For more information, please visit platforminnovationkit.com. And now, enjoy today's conversation. Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Platforms for Future. And here with me, my very lovely co-host from Bronx. Hi, Natalie. Hi, Matthias. Very glad to be here again. Oh, nice. Um, Good that you came back. Uh, And uh, today we want to talk about Gaia X. Have you heard about Gaia X before? I have. Have you, Matthias? (laughs) Yeah, I heard about it and I was wondering what is Gaia X and how I heard about Gaia X is building a digital cloud platform and wants to compete against AWS and uh, all the other hyperscalers. But I then talked to Peter Kramer. And uh, Peter is head of department, technological sovereignty, industrial value at Akatech and is currently leading in Germany, the initiative of GAIA-X. And he told me, well, there's a bit of a misunderstanding and he corrected me. And that's why I thought, okay, let's bring Peter into our podcast. Hi, Peter. Welcome to our podcast. Hello there. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, yeah, Peter told me a bit more about GAIA-X and I think he has a lot of interesting things to tell us. But before we go into the details about sovereignty, data sovereignty, and how to build up a platform in the digital ecosystem era, Peter, please help us and our listeners to understand who you are and what you are doing. I will do that very gladly. Thank you. My name is Peter Kramer. I uh, work for ACATEC, which is the German National Academy of Science and Engineering. It's a publicly mandated and uh, funded think tank on innovation and technology policies. And we have been dealing with the question of sovereignty for a while now, which has made it only natural that in 2019, when then uh, Minister of Economic Affairs Peter Altmaier came up with the idea of an open and federated data infrastructure, they looked to us, to Akatech, to figure out how to do this. So we've been involved in GAIAX for a long, long time now. Um, people tend to say that we are one of the birth maidens of uh, GAIAX, and I tend to agree with this. Um, now the question is, what is GAIAX? GAIAX is an initiative that was born out of the realities of the digital market at the moment. 85% of cloud hosting and cloud computing in Europe are being done by non-European players. They have tremendous great offers that fulfill a lot of the needs that our industry and our economy here in Europe needs. But there are certain limitations and restrictions that make it a less viable options in some areas. Mostly everything related to personally identifiable data You cannot really work with American or non-European companies, which is why it was pretty clear that we need some alternative to that. We need to be able to work with every data, every data set that we can imagine, and we need to do it under the circumstances and around the requirements that we as a European economy and a European society have defined for ourselves. That is what we basically decide as 
sovereignty. We need to have sovereign options on the market that will allow us as consumers and as citizens to make self-determined and well-informed decisions on who can do what with my data, for how long, and to what avail, to what purpose. So this is why the idea of GaiaX was shaped. It started to materialize through an interoperable, interconnected and scalable data infrastructure where you have cloud hosting and cloud computing and edge computing, which is all interoperable. So you can select whichever service uh, suits you most amongst a variety of uh, service offerings on the market. And you pick that because you know that it will be interoperable with other services in the market so that you can come up with a very modular and customized service that well fulfills exactly your needs and requirements. So this is on an infrastructure level, uh, I think rather easy to comprehend. You need interoperable services to have to be able to avoid locked-in effects on an infrastructure level. But of course, simply storing data somewhere doesn't really lead to a lot of things. You need to be able to compute it and to refine data by AI applications, by big data, by IoT, and by automation, analytics, and so on and so on. And on this uh, aforementioned interoperable infrastructure layer, we need to be able to come up with smart services that you can deploy as you need in uh, environments as you need. So you, we need to make sure that we have data available where you want it to as the customer or citizen, and you need to be able to do something with it according to the needs or the limitations of whoever is the sovereign over this data. And this is why GaiaX was uh, founded as an, a leveler of playing fields. Because in the end, at the moment, when you look at the market, there's a lot of silo thinking. There's still a lot of platform thinking where you want as much people as, and as many people and companies on your platforms without really opening it to the competition. And that, of course, is a problem for innovation because at the moment, well, the market is being dominated by a handful of actors, not from the EU. And that, of course, is a problem for for industry, for policy, and it's a problem for the European society. So if I understand correctly, Peter, GaiaX is a kind of orchestrator of existing solutions and the kind of guide or influencer uh, to make sure that the, the solutions available in Europe are interoperable, mouthful, and sovereign? Yes, in a way. Some have compared it to an organic stamp that you put on certain products because it fulfills certain requirements. Which these requirements are, that has to, will have to be defined by those that will use it eventually, right? So in, a, in the health field, you might have different requirements than in the, in the industrial manufacturing field. And you might have different requirements when it comes to uh, data privacy or safety or security or availability of data or latency of data in different fields. So we need to be able to create transparency in the market by having a clear account of what is the offering actually providing, where is, for example, the server hosted, is it in Frankfurt or is it in Lille or is it in Alaska? Um, because that will influence the amount of things you can actually do with that service. And in the same vein, uh, that applies, of course, to AI applications. Uh, it applies to big data computing and so on and so on. The more you know about a service, the more educated the decision that you want to make with it is going to be. Um, so it also follows the principles of what we have seen with GDPR and so on in Europe, that Europe wants to create its own kind of 
legal environment and legal frameworks that, as you said, levels the playing field or sets the rules for the playing field and allows everybody to compete in a, in a better way, maybe, and not dominated by one, two, three players. So, and you also mentioned that the rules are defined by the users. So can you maybe also talk more about that? So how do you define the rules? How do you come to that set of rules? Because, and this is again, a major topic of Natalie, uh, when it comes to trust, uh, you need to trust this environment, you need to trust this infrastructure. So, and, and trust always starts by having a, yeah, a joint set of rules or whatever, or kind of a joint framework. Uh, how do you come to that joint understanding? It's a, it's, that's a very good question, and I will elaborate that in just a minute. You just compared GAIAX to, for example, GDPR. GAIAX is not something that is orchestrated by governments. GAIAX is an initiative that was founded upon the political revelation that, yes, you need something like this. But it was soon then handed over to an AISBL in Brussels, to an Association Internationale Sans But Lucratif, Uh, which is a not-for-profit organization, um, and that is strictly being run by industrial actors. That means that those who will use it and who will provide uh, services in this ecosystem are the ones that make the rules for it. They are. They can become members of this ASBL, as in any membership organization. You will then have a vote in the General Assembly, and you can vote uh, or be voted into a board of directors, and then you can help shape the decisions of where GAIA-X wants to go. It is to be said that, um, for example, a seat on the board of directors is only reserved for companies that are headquartered in the European Union. But it is, of course, something that is a accumulative and consolidated process where you have a lot of interests that might be clashing in some points. But the overall goal of GAIAX is always going to be we need to be able to come up with sovereign solutions that are open source that will allow us to implement it as widely as possible. And not just in Europe, but of course also abroad, because the data economy, which we are looking for uh, and what we're looking at in a couple of markets already, that is not going to be restricted to a nation or a legal body as the European Union. It needs to be able to work with actors from all over the world, because frankly, our supply chains don't, don't stop at uh, any borders. And At this time, there are also very few borders where you as a citizen have to stop or where you cannot enter. So we need to make sure that it's uh, interoperable with um, with solutions that are born and that are being deployed in areas where the European law does not apply, which might be the United States, which might also be China, of course, which might be Japan, Korea, and every other nation that is not a member of the European Union. So it has to be inclusive per se. And inclusivity is something that we strive for at GAIAX because GAIAX will only ever be as good as the companies and people that get involved in it, that make their requirements and their voices heard in the ecosystem so that GAIAX can be as useful of a tool as possible. It is a, a shortcut of sorts on a technological and governance level, but it, of course, does not replace or substitute any legal regulation or legal framework. Can you, you just mentioned the companies that are part of it. Can you give us some examples, maybe? They are from, from the smallest startups in, in Belgium to stock market registered companies in Germany to large French providers of electricity. Of course, the American market leaders are on board with the initiative that huge Chinese companies are on board because we need to talk with them if we want to provide a solution that works for all of us. 
these companies have a lot of partners. Um, they have a lot of business here in Europe, and we cannot replace the service that they are providing for the moment just like that. It doesn't work that way. We need to make sure that we come up with a complementary service offering where you can do part of your digital business in a, I don't know, let's call it an American ecosystem and the other one in a European one so that you can maybe avoid the pitfalls of having to come up with a GDPR compliant service where the US Cloud Act uh, applies, which is tricky, to be honest. So all of those players coming together and they define a set of rules and um, based on the rules, you can build up an infrastructure. But the main reason is, uh, and coming back to the topic of sovereignty is, is yeah to form a state where everybody can make decisions on their own, etc. So can you explain this a little bit further, why this is required and maybe giving some examples where we can better understand if you don't have this, how could it lead this to kind of problems? We have sort of come to realize as a society and as citizens that we have certain rights. Let's call them human rights, uh, which are basically universal except for a couple of countries in this world. And we've taken them for granted. These rights have developed over decades, if not millennia of, of years of struggle for these rights. And the digital world, as we know it, that has very much skipped over a couple of these decisive steps of empowering people to be their own masters, if you will. And I think the digital and data sovereignty especially is something that's worth fighting for. Because if you are not the master of your own digital identity, people or companies or villainous or sinister actors can do with your data as they please. So we need to put mechanisms in reality where you can make the decisions that you want with your data. Otherwise, we'll have a big problem when it comes to the overall adoption of a data economy in total. And I think this, uh, this will speak to Natalie especially. If you don't trust the actor that you're working with, you will not be providing them with all the information that they might potentially require or want. Basic concept of, of business interaction, you need to be able to trust the person that you work with. And in the past, you could do this, you, you sat around the same table and that you negotiated at the end, you shook, your, shook someone's hand. Uh, and even later then, uh, you maybe signed a contract. And that gave you legal clarity. And with a lot of the uh, digital business that we see these days, it's simply not feasible to do this on a very large scale. Because if you wanted to go into individual contracting with someone every time they access your data, you can sense this a little bit with the cookie disclaimers on every website that you visit these days, which is basically a contractual obligation that you get into. It just gets very messy very easily. And even more widespread scale, that will mean that they sort of lose uh, relevance. Just speaking from my own very anecdotal experience, of course, I don't really remember when the last time was that I actually read a cookie disclaimer because there's just so many of them. And there should be some way of this being handled in a more efficient way where I can say, in general, if you want to access my data because I want to visit your website or because something, something, we want to put some value to this. We need to agree on a value of what my data of me visiting that website is. And that is at the moment simply impossible because I have no insight into how my personal information is being handled. Thus, I can't really put a price tag on it. And this, of course, is something that is very business and marketing driven, but the same applies to everything that's related to public data. If you go in, into um, 
and want to extend your passport or reapply for it, you don't know how to do this. You don't know where to put your data. So you have to actually go to an official building, uh, to the mayor's office maybe, in the city that you live in. And this, of course, extends to tons and tons of other use cases where you need to trust in order to build business and to be able to come up with new ideas. So concretely, operationally, how do you make that trust concrete? I suppose you've got certification or compliance because what you're saying is like Gaia X is the warrant of that trust element, right? Well, the first step to, uh, to trust, I think, is transparency. So you need to make transparent what it is that you provide and what you're going to do with the services and how you're going to do it. This was rather easy when you wanted to, I don't know, buy like a horseshoe for your horse because you went to the blacksmith and he showed you his workshop and you said, oh, it looks all very nice and fancy. And yes, I will buy this for two, I don't know, Deutschmarks or whatever. It doesn't work that way because digital economy and digital services as per se are simply intransparent and complex and complicated. So creating transparency where necessary is the first step towards trust. But someone has to verify, and I agree with you on this, that the information that you provide is correct by certifying it and by maybe putting a label on it. Yes, this person is trustworthy to deal with your financial data or your health data or your mobility data or, or your travel data or whatever. GAIAX is merely going to be the organization that sets up the process and helps you shape the seal of approval because the criteria according to which you are um, trustworthy, that will have to be defined by those that actually will do business with it, which might be a regulatory body. It might be your customers. It might be anyone, if, if you will. So coming up with a trustworthy structure and a process that allows for trustworthiness, I think it's an, an, it's, it's an important step towards a fairer and more transparent data economy in general, not just in a GAIAX context. And GAIAX is going to be one of those instruments that you use to get this um, this leverage to create transparency and, and trust through that. So I think this is understood. And I think this is a really good goal to follow. You also mentioned that you started some years ago. So how far you are on this journey? And is this already available? Or what is the status right now? So um, because I think, as you explained, it's required. People are asking for it. So how and when can we use it? The first time GAIAX was really presented to the public was in September of 2019. So that is a bit more than three years now. And of course, expectations were incredible because everyone said, oh, yeah, this is what we need. I want this to uh, get my business running. It was come up as in, in the very first instance as a German project. But it was very soon then realized that, no, it cannot be just national. It has to be at least European or even better global, if you will. So that sort of, it, it led to a bit of a structural organizational pitfall because you then had to come up with even more people or you had to deal with more people who have very, very special particular interests and they want to make their voices heard. So it took a while to really get the ball going. Um, but I think last year in 2022, we've made great strides when it comes to technology and when it comes to, to governance of how GAIAX will work in the future. And within this quarter, first quarter of 2023, we will have the first market offerings uh, for GAIAX compliant uh, infrastructure cloud hosting services by a couple of uh, companies from, from Europe. So 
I think we are very well within the field of delivery that we had envisioned. Of course, for some people, it cannot go fast enough and quick enough. But considering that this is a European project that has to accommodate a lot of requirements and interests, I think we're, we're pretty much, we're, we're pretty far ahead, I think. Um, yeah, when, and, when I look at the German at the Berlin airport, uh, <laughs> then it's very fast <laughs> in comparison to that one. Uh, so, and it's on the European level. So I think it's great progress. But can you make it also a bit more specific? So maybe you said in Q1 or maybe after Q1, maybe in early Q2 or whatever, it will be available. If I'm a, if I'm a company, how can I really use it? What would be the price? How can I really internalize it into my current infrastructure? How can I really imagine how it works? That's a good question because, frankly, I don't make the prices and I don't know <laughs> what the prices will be. So first offering we need is, is a GAIAX-compliant cloud offering, something where you can store your data and where you know, okay, I can, I can go from here. And as soon as we have this cloud offering, we can then see who is going to come up with smart services that work with it, which might be an AI algorithm that works with GAIAX and that respects its boundaries and requirements, which it might be IoT or, or, or something else. But the question that is always very closely tied to GAIAX is the question of how do you govern the, um, the multi-stakeholder dialogue that any data exchange requires at this point, which means how do you incorporate the concept of a data space into this? Because the data space is an ideal that will probably shape the, the way that we deal with the data economy in the future a lot. And a data space is basically a community of data givers and data users who agree to share certain data under certain conditions. That is the basic composition of the data space. And here again, you need someone to say, you can do this and you cannot do that with certain data sets. And then you have a data space of someone who gives mobility data and someone who needs mobility data to, for example, predict traffic situations in downtown Munich. Of course, we all know this happens already with a couple of offerings on the market, but these do not really account for, for sovereignty because you pay with your with your data, of course, is I think by now everybody knows. So when setting up a data space, which is again, the community of data sharers, that we need to reinvent the wheel every single time. We need to come up with blueprints. We need to come up with reference architectures, with frameworks that simply work in all different kinds of circumstances and, and industrial sectors. And this is where GAIAX can help a lot in, of course, in co close collaboration with the Data Spaces Support Center and all these different initiatives and activities that are popping up everywhere um, in Europe and elsewhere. Where I think GAIAX will be most vital is providing the glue that helps stick these different data spaces together. Because you don't want to be in a situation where you have come up with a fantastically working mobility data space, but that doesn't work with a data space on energy, for example, because in the future, when you want to charge your electrical car, you will have to figure out, is there enough energy available to charge all the cars at the same time, and so on and so on. So the business value of any data set as a principle is higher the more context can be used in. So the more potential uh, use you get out of one set of data, the more valuable it is. And that, of course, applies also to data spaces. The more data spaces you can combine and, uh, and, uh, and make interoperable, the more valuable it's going to be for 
the data economy and everyone involved in it, which might be every one of us at some point. So this concept of data space, is there a list of data spaces you've already started defining? Or is it per project when a project emerges that the players need to agree on a, that being on the core of it, uh, being that a new data space? How does it That's work? a good question. When the data space was first introduced to European politics, I think it was through the uh, European strategy on data in 2020, I think it was. And the European Commission said, oh, we need eight data spaces, no, 10 data spaces in Europe from agriculture to, what was it, skills and something else. It very quickly turned out that having large centralized data spaces all over Europe is not really going to work because it's simply a very complex beast. So you would need a federation of data spaces. You would need a data space mobility a decentralized federated one in Germany, one maybe in, in France and one in Belgium, but they need to be interoperable because someone who is working with this uh, data space as a data provider, because I'm driving my fancy self-autonomous and electrical car from Germany to France, I will be passing through Belgium and the Netherlands, that there will be a lot of data that has to cross borders, right? So they need to be interoperable and we need to make sure that the same rules apply to all of these. So that we have a, a landscape of different interoperable data spaces, much like a, a gas station, if you will, because you know when you start driving here, you can basically rely on that you can get you fuel up your car wherever you go. Now, who is going to be running these data spaces and how many are there going to be? That is up for grabs. I frankly don't know, and I don't think that there will be a limit on this. The only thing that will restrict the number and the breadth or, or scope of data space is going to be business. Is it going to be a, an economically viable business model to run a data space because you get enough people to provide their data in it and a lot of people that, that require and therefore sort of pay for the, for the data within it by either uh, monetary um, means or by exchanging other services? That is going to be the question that we're going to have to figure out eventually. But we need to make sure that we get the interoperability part of the infrastructure down so that we can start tackling these issues. Dear listeners, I hope you enjoy our podcast and you can learn more about building and scaling a successful platform business. I'm Matthias, CEO of Fastbreak One, And as you know, we at Fastbreak One are platform entrepreneurs by heart. Since over 20 years, we are building new platforms and this makes us one of the most experienced platform venture builders around the globe. If you are a corporate and you tried out different strategies, consultants, IT partners, but your platform initiative struggles to scale, please check out our assessment services. For example, we work closely together with a leading insurance company who tried to establish a platform for two years, but the results were below expectations and the risk to fail was very high. Within one month, we helped them to understand the bottlenecks and created a step-by-step -step plan to scale. Today, we are working very closely with the company and the platform became a market leader. Yes, we are no consultants. We are entrepreneurs and we love to share the risk and go full in in building new platform ventures. Learn more about our experience and our practices of work at our website www.fastbreak.one or send us an email to contact at fastbreak.one. And now let's go back to the conversation.
So if you're taking the example of uh, electric cars, I can tell you as an electric car driver that nobody's absolutely considered, in France at least, the concept of data space because there's zero interoperability between the bonds, the payment systems or anything like this. It's an absolute nightmare for users. Exactly. And, and, and why is that? Because they are in competition with each other without realizing they should be in co-opetition. Yeah. They have basically the same goal. They all want to make the most money while inputting the least amount of investment. And the way you get the most out of digital services is by making it scalable and reducing the amount of effort you have to put into any new solution. And if you provide a good enough uh, architectural framework that provides for interoperability and clears out all the issues with compliance and scalability, I think there's a very fair chance that, that companies will adopt it because it will lead to more market adoption of, for example, electric cars, and it will allow for new business models because the, the, the business model of an electrical car is, of course, not only allowing you to drive your car from one place to another. There's also the idea of energy transfer from your place to the other. Because if it's to be expected that you leave your car at this place overnight, your car basically works like a battery, right? So you could reach, you could uncharge the car in a high demand uh, scenario and you recharge it overnight when there's not so much demand, in theory. But isn't that, because when you're saying that, you know, anybody can create data spaces and it's uh, kind of up for grabs, isn't that the risk is that everybody wants to create their own and nobody's really centralizing or forcing that competition? Well, the market mechanism behind this is complex, I agree, um, which is why in, in most cases that I'm aware of, at least, there is some sort of government impetus to work together on this. We've seen this uh, in Germany with the mobility data space, and we've seen this with Catena X, which is the, the data space for the industry, for the automotive supply chain, where the government has done certain things um, and, and pushed for certain things so that we have a broader adoption of these uh, initiatives. And of course, there's also the, the case to be made for innovation through regulation, because the supply chain um, novella, where you have to provide for certain information from your supply chain, it basically calls for a data space because you will need a full comprehensive list of data uh, that is being gathered throughout your supply chain in any automotive or manufacturing process. And this, of course, all has to be tied in. It's a very, very complicated regulatory process, but I think it's worth the effort because it will lead to more innovation, it will lead to new business opportunities, and it will lead to more um, participation for especially small and medium companies from all over Europe and abroad, of course, because it's clearer to them where they can work with what resources and with what data. Because in Europe, it's the biggest issue. It's availability of data and availability of resources. For me, it sounds like that the key to solve this, it's also a bit of a chicken and egg problem, but to solve this, it's it's the end user. Like in the example of Natalie, it should come, the request should come from the drivers, right? The drivers of those electronic cars, they should say, I only subscribe to a so service which is Gaia X enabled or labeled, something like that, because then they and can be sure that you can 
maybe use different services from multiple providers, uh, but you can exchange the data in a safe, secure, whatever way. And um, so the request should come or the demand should really come from the end users. But so far, when I look at GaiaX, I see you work very close together with companies, so with the businesses. So how is how do you approach as GaiaX also to reach out to the end users and make them aware about GaiaX and that they should look for GaiaX labeled services and stuff like that? I think it's important to keep in mind that GaiaX is always going to be a B2B initiative. That means as the end user, the GaiaX stamp per se is not going to be really what you're going to be looking for. GaiaX is going to be um, the gavel where you put the end user stamp on. So you might have um, the European Energy Agency saying the services of this and this and this and that energy company are interoperable. And the interoperability is provided by GaiaX. And I think it would be nice to personally for me to see GaiaX out on the market because it would be a great justification of all the work that we've put in here. But in an ideal world, in five, in 10 years, we wouldn't ever see GaiaX on the market because the principles behind it have permeated everything in the market because it's turned out that not only is it the right thing to do to enable sovereignty, but it's also the financially and economically reasonable thing to do because it gives you more leverage. Of course, it it's really hard to model your business around sovereignty and around open standards and around open source because it kind of goes against every book on business digital business development that you find because in the end at the moment every day digital business relies on a locked in effect you want to get as many people on your platform as possible and you want to make leaving as hard as possible but that is not something that we should strive for as an economy in europe or as a society so Personally, I find that it will be important for us as a GaiaX community in this year to really put forward the idea that GaiaX will bring you a lot of benefit, a lot of value in terms of business that you at the moment cannot leverage because you simply do not have the, the capacities to do so and the offerings. Even though it's not really set in stone just yet, I think it's important to keep an eye out for all of these things that are popping up in the GaiaX realm, which might be, again, Catena X, might be mobility data space, but there's also um, uh, 14 publicly funded projects in Germany from different ministries that are working on the concept of how do I use GaiaX to create value that I currently cannot uh, generate. Where is the USP for GaiaX? Because, well, we started looking out for, for GaiaX use cases from the very beginning, and they started off sounding very irrational and sometimes utopian. But I think at this point, we've come to understand that, yes, it's utopian, but it's attainable. And in order for it to work, we need to create frameworks that allow this sovereignty to really shine. Yeah, now we enter... Uh, the part of the podcast where we talk about the future. So you also mentioned in maybe in five to 10 years. I would like to put in here uh, the topic of Web3. Some people tell us that uh, we are in a transition from Web2 to Web3. And Web3 could be like a kind of more virtual reality enabled by real life kind of services. Now in Web2, we are more like 
uh, real life enabled by digital services and digital things and orchestrated by platforms or whatever. But in Web3, we we move into a more virtual space. So we see cryptocurrencies, we see identities, everything like that. And this all leads into kind of an infrastructure which allows me to be more sovereign in a Web3 environment. So could we also say that Gaia X is not made for now, but is maybe, as you said, maybe an enabler of the future, an enabler of Web3? In an ideal world, GaiaX would already be there. Let's face it. But yeah, GaiaX will be the foundation of everything that we're going to be doing in a digital world in the future, be it Web3 or be it digital twins, or is it entertainment, manufacturing, mobility, Everything that we're going to be doing in the future will have some sort of digital component. And if we talk about digital components, it means it's data related. And that just needs a solid, solid foundation that you can rely on, that it will not crumble under you as soon as you take the first steps. And this is why we need GAIA-X in order for all of the future that we at this point maybe can't even really imagine that this will be doable and will be and in a way that not only profits a handful of companies in the world, but the, which will be to the advantage of everyone. At the moment, we're talking maybe of win-win situations or probably more like in a win half-win situation where you enter a contract agreement with someone uh, who to share, to, uh, to host your data and process it, and you get exactly one result out of it and every other value generated gets to the platform that hosts it. And I think in the future, we will generate win-win-win situations as the data provider gets something out of it, the organization that uses the data gets something out of it, and the company that brokers the exchange and that makes sure that the exchange happens according to both of these actors' uh, requirements, it also gets something out of this. And I think this uh, is something that is mirrored a little bit in the Data Governance Act, for example, where you have very clear no, not very clear, but where you have at least the, the will to to regulate the role of platform providers in a digital economy. And I think GAIAX is going to be an important arrow in the quiver of a fairer data economy. And maybe a last question related to that. From a European standpoint, brings us as uh, European players or levels is the playing field also with the Asian and the American market uh, from a European point of view. So we see a lot of those kind of activities that Europe wants to become more sovereign or maybe wants to be a bit more autark from what we see in Asia or with America or whatever. Is this GAIA-X also a kind of initiatives helping Europe going forward here and being much more stronger? Because very often in, in the Web2 world, we hear uh, in Europe, they... They are very small related to platforms, for example. So we see big dominant platforms in America and maybe in Asia, but nothing big coming out of Europe. So does GAIA-X help us as Europeans? I firmly believe so. Of course, the European digital market reflects the European society and the European Union, if you will. You have a lot of smaller actors that are smaller because they are mostly working in their own markets. And if you can combine these singular actors into one bigger actor, of course, they will be able to compete with much bigger ones. This will need a refinement of business models again, because it's something that just cannot be done uh, overnight. 
But I strongly believe and have absolute faith that the bright minds that we have in Europe will come with tons and tons of innovative new business models that that allow for the creation of um, of a of a maybe a, a brighter future for the world and, and for Europe definitely because at this point we have I think three main things that are holding us back in Europe um, in a digital or in the data field the first one is uh, the availability of data because it's heavily regulated GDPR has done its fair share of that we need to make sure that we remedy this in some sorts. The second one is uh, speed and and in adaption and deployment of services, and the third one is competence, its skills in data and digital technologies. And I think all of these can be really helped if we figure out how to make data universally um, available under the conditions that we all agree on or that we individually set. And when we do that, we can finally tackle that societal change that needs to follow suit after the technology one. They have to go hand in hand, of course, but at this point, technology is way, way faster than, for example, education and training and everything that comes with it. Thank you very much, Peter. I think uh, Matthias could keep asking you questions forever, and, but I have to be the timekeeper. Normally, it's French people who talk a lot, but uh, <laughs> this time I'll be the one uh, keeping the time. Unfortunately, we have to conclude. When we um, when we conclude our podcasts, we like to ask our guests what their best advice or what advice they could give to our listeners who are considering building platforms or, in the case uh, here, building ecosystems that are win-win-win-win and not a win-half-win. <laughs> uh, so what could you put forward here on this? I think the most important thing that it sounds like commonplace that one should keep in mind when talking about data economy and platforms is the value that it generates. And that is not only value for yourself or the platform itself, but for the participants and the future participants of the platform. That I think is something that we had lost out of focus a little bit with GAIAX, but I think we've come firmly back on track. And I think it's something that is absolutely necessary You need to communicate the value that your offering generates to whoever is the target audience of it. And when you do that, I think there's a very fair chance that you will be successful in the market, as long as your product is not crap, of course. Sorry. So keeping the end user in mind, providing value, the rest will follow. Yeah. Thank you very much, Peter, for sharing your insights on GaiaX, also to resolve some maybe misunderstandings. What is GaiaX? How could it really help? What is the status? So thank you very much for that. And yes, looking forward to talk to you maybe in two, three years and see how far <laughs> the market adopted. I'm sure you will push this to the market. And when you said uh, it took you only one, two years to figure out how to bring all the European players together, then you are much, much faster than the Berlin airport and other initiatives. So congratulations on that. And it shows that you're doing a great job. So thank you for sharing also your time here in our podcast and looking forward to talk to you in the near future. Thank you so much again for having me. It was a, it was a blast. Talk to you soon. Thank you, Peter. Bye. Thanks, Matthias. Thank you, Natalie, for being the timekeeper. <laughs>